We're back. We're back. We're back. We're back with Matt Maruka. Matt has been on this podcast. I think. Well, actually, we're we're. This is round two. I went on his. I think in 2020, and he was on the show uh, back in 2019 or 2018. He is a wheelhouse of information and really started his health journey in high school, trying to solve all sorts of issues. Um, you do not have to re-listen to that first episode, but that episode is really centered around the benefits of light from sunlight to different forms of infrared on the mitochondria, on health. He, he rabbit holed light technology. He runs uh, what he calls the light diet. And it also rabbit holed quite a bit on nutrition. He had met a lot of the same folks running around at the Paleo FX conference that uh, that I had met quite a few people at. So many similarities in the path there. Main difference is that this dude's like Doogie Hauser. I mean, he was a, a straight up uh, genius at 18 years old and knew way more than most general practitioners, dare I say, uh, understand about health and wellness and how the body works. A great resource for circadian rhythm and and everything that you'd want to know about how to optimize your body's energy systems. We'll link to that in the show notes. This podcast recaps a bit of that. We catch up. We dive into really what he's been up to in the past few couple of years here. And um, his story is phenomenal. We had a great, great time. He's taken a deep dive into Dr. Joe Dispenza's work. And I think he's been to six or seven uh, live conferences with Dr. Joe Dispenza. So I really wanted to dive into that and understand where he's at in the world and um, just seeing you know, the big shifts that are taking place. The conversation does go everywhere. We talk uh, some of the modern issues really through his lens in in getting to know people in Russia, getting having a Russian girlfriend and all sorts of cool stuff. This is just a, this is a great one. And I, I'm really excited to get to continue these conversations with Matt as we both come into older and older age. He's still a young champ and um, still way ahead of his time in many, many, many regards. So I know you guys are going to dig this one. There are a number of ways you guys can support this podcast. First and foremost, share it with friends, share it with family. Uh, Secondly, give us a five-star rating and a quick review on one or two ways that the show has helped you in life. And last but not least, support our sponsors because they make this show possible. And this episode of the Kyle Kingsbury podcast is brought to you by Aura.com. Do you know what the fastest growing crime rate in America is? For years, this crime rate has been surging and affecting millions of Americans. I'm talking about identity theft, and it happens to 1 in 20 Americans. Yet despite this, those who have had their identity stolen are often shocked when it happens. Imagine trying to log into your email one day only to see the password had changed hours ago. Then you start getting notifications of activity from your bank, credit cards, crypto accounts. That's when the feelings of panic, fear, anxiety, paranoia, Disbelief, shock, anger, and frustration, and guilt all set in. That's why I'm excited to partner with Aura, who is sponsoring this podcast. Aura is identity theft protection, fraud monitoring, a VPN, password management, and antivirus software all combined into one easy-to-use app. Aura monitors the dark web for your emails, passwords, and social security numbers, and sends alerts fast, right to your phone and email. When it comes to fraud, every second matters. Connect your credit and bank accounts and get notified of any changes up to four times faster than Aura's competitors. Their VPN allows you to stay anonymous online while keeping your browsing history and personal information safe and encrypted. And their antivirus software 
will block malware and viruses before they infect your devices. Protect you and your family from America's fastest growing crime. Try Aura for free for two weeks and see if any of you or your family's personal information has been compromised. Start your free trial today at https colon forward slash forward slash aura.com slash Kyle. That is aura.com slash Kyle. This podcast is also brought to you by Lucy. Lucy Lucy.co has been a longtime sponsor and is one of my absolute favorite products. Look, we're all adults here, and I know some of us choose to use nicotine to relax, focus, or just unwind after a long day. Lucy is a modern oral nicotine company that makes nicotine gum, lozenges, and pouches for adults who are looking for the best, most responsible way to consume their nicotine. It's a new year. Why not start it out by switching to a new nicotine product that you can feel good about? Um, I absolutely love this stuff. We had uh, uh, my buddy, Nate Nate Smith from The Hunt Trip, who, who I've got switched on to the Lucy products. He came out with the pouches the last time he was in town staying with us. And um, I threw a couple in, I, I like, I like a stronger dose, but they hit quick. And I was like, wow, man, this stuff is phenomenal. Uh, I've been a fan of the lozenges and the gum for some time, but I think the pouches are my all-time favorite. Check it all out, lucy.co. If you enjoy using nicotine, you should definitely check out Lucy's products at lucy.co. That is L-U-C-Y dot C-O and use promo code KKP at checkout. Uh, this product does contain nicotine and nicotine is an addictive chemical. Remember, if you're interested in a better ways to use nicotine, visit lucy.co and be sure to use that promo code KKP. This podcast is also brought to you by my boys and girls at Buy Optimizers. Have you had bad gas lately? I know this may be an uncomfortable topic. The only reason I bring it up is because bad gas is a sign that you have undigested food fermenting in your gut. This is occasionally a problem for all of us. Just ask my wife. (laughs) That's why I I want to tell you about P3OM products. And uh, yes, it is true. (laughs) She she will verify. um, Even even little Wolfie, who's about to turn two, she'll go, farted, farted, and starts running around in circles anytime I fart. P3OM is a patented probiotic that eats up excess sugar, eliminates bad bacteria first, and protects your gut from inflammation and viruses. So you have less gas and a stronger immune system. P3OM also improves digestion, speeds up metabolism, and increases energy throughout the day. What makes P3OM so different from other probiotics is that it can survive the gastrointestinal tract and it goes through your whole body to support both your gut and your entire immune response. It's a secret weapon for reducing and eliminating bad gas and upgrading your immunity and protection against bad bacteria. Here's some more great news. You can get 10% off P3OM right now by going to p3om.com slash kingsboo and typing in the coupon code kingsboo10. Just visit p3om.com forward slash k-i-n-g-s-b-u and remember to hit that kingsboo10 at the end for your coupon code. You're going to get 10% off. I absolutely love these guys. And of course, we're linking all this in the show notes. So don't worry about URLs. They're all in the show notes. Last but not least, we're brought to you by Super Speciosa. Super Speciosa is the very best Kratom company on the planet Earth. These guys use whole plant. There are no fillers, no additions, no binding agents, nothing but this amazing plant medicine that you'll find in there. I become a little bit like Jon Stewart uh, in his cameo in Half-Baked, where he's like, you ever seen the back of a $20 bill on weed? That's kind of how I am with Kratom right now. Have you ever had an orgasm on Kratom? It's phenomenal. If you had a, a... if you like running and, are, and you get a good runner's high, 
it's even better on Kratom. It's even better in the gym. The pump that Arnold's always talking about, better on Kratom. Everything is better on Kratom. And yes, because it's a medicine, it must be used responsibly. And if you do have too much, which I have done in the past, you can get a little nauseous. So have the ultimate respect when working with this plant. Start low and work your way up and then really find that sweet spot. Once you're at that sweet spot, you're going to understand what I'm talking about. Imagine a euphoric feeling that penetrates your entire body and does not leave you intoxicated in your mind. Very few things can do this for us. I mean, not even cannabis. I mean, cannabis will affect my mind way more than Kratom does. So you have your wits about you. You can drive. You can do a lot of things. You can work out. You can run. You can do anything you want to on it, and you're just going to feel better. It is really one of my favorite tools to stack with a lot of the other things like parenting or working out, getting out in nature. It is such an incredible plant medicine. Check it out, getsuperleaf.com slash KKP, and you're going to get 20% off your entire order. For beginners, I recommend using their signature super speciosis strain. It's their most popular and best-selling item. A little goes a long way with that. And uh, I really am a fan of the reds. I feel the reds mostly in my body. Um, the red Bali is one of my favorites. And, you know, to, as I've answered questions for guys and fit guys and girls in fit for service, everyone's neurochemistry is different. Everyone's microbiome is different. So what I say is not a wholesale. This is how these strains work. Just as cannabis and psilocybin has a wide variety of strains that all impact dif- people differently. These will impact you differently, but start small, work your way up and play with different varieties to see what is the actual feeling I'm getting from a green. What is the feeling I'm getting from a red? How does this work when I need to go to work? How does this work when I need to work out? How does this work when I'm on a date? All of those things matter. And what you're going to find is if you can guinea pig it for a little while, you're going to find the sweet spot which each, with each and any of these strains and varieties. Uh, love these guys. Super Speciosa. Super Speciosa is easily the best Kratom company on the planet. And you can buy small amounts in capsules or you can get bulk in powder. All of it's there. Kratom is a natural herb related to the coffee plant that has been used in Thailand for centuries, if not thousands of years. Kratom helps energize your mind and relax your body. It just helps you feel good without feeling impaired. Super Speciosa has only one ingredient, pure Kratom leaf. And um, as I've mentioned, try it all. Uh, start low, start slow and work your way up. And you will find that this is one of the best things to have in your medicine cabinet. All right. They got hundred percent satisfaction or your money back guaranteed. Try Kate at Kratom, try Kratom and get 20% off your entire order. Go to get superleaf.com slash KKP. That is G E T S U P E R L E A F.com slash KKP and use promo code KKP for 20% off your entire order. Get superleaf.com slash KKP. And without further ado, my brother, Matt Maruka. Matt Maruka, welcome back to the podcast, brother. Thanks, Kyle. I'm glad to be back. Well, we've been catching up. I've been filling you in on the farm and everything that I've been up to. Um, You're in town for Paleo FX. This is the first year since I started going to those events that I haven't been able to, to attend it, even just watch. Um, due to the amount of stuff that I got going on between fit for service and coaching and the podcast and, uh, farming. And then of course, dadding and being a husband. So I was super disappointed. I didn't get to go. I was thrilled that, uh, Keith and Michelle were able to pull it back together and bring the, bring the team back on. Um, and I just love that because it's, it, there's a, I have a history there. I don't know if I've told you that story, but that's, that's actually how I made my way to Austin. 
I was sitting uh, with ayahuasca for three days or three nights rather. And um, the first two nights were like really deep family shit, you know, like uh, my nuclear family growing up and then my nuclear family that I've created on night two. And then day three was just pretty easy, you know? So like on the third night, it was really like, what do I want to do now? What do I want to create? And I had already been podcasting. We're living out in Vegas and um, it kept telling me to go to Paleo FX because I had this question and, and, I, and I was really argumentative about it, you know, like, no, it's too expensive. It's like, no, the cost will change. And I was like, well, I've already, I've already you know, read, what am I going to learn from somebody on a 20 minute talk on stage? It's not in their book that they spent two years on, you know? And it was, you're not going to go there to learn anything. You're going to go there to meet people. And so finally I submit and I say yes. And um, that's when I met Aubrey. We shared the same flight back and literally the rest is history. You know, after Back that, to where are you coming from? Vegas. Okay. So they were looking at opening the second Onnit gym there. Whoa. And uh, yeah, that's when, that's just everything shifted. I mean, we really connected on that three-hour flight. We had met at a dinner uh, prior to the flight, but then saw each other on the flight. He's like, hey, I'll save you Southwest. He's like, I'll save you a seat. So we sat next to him. Uh, me and John Wolf, the the master coach here at On It, and traded war stories for three hours, and and you know he's like, man, I'm I'm taking you and your wife to Burning Man with us, and uh, I want you to come work it on it. And I uh, came out for an interview, went back to Vegas, we put all our shit on a moving truck while we we're at Burning Man. Our entire house was getting moved here. Wow. So I think of these little little things like that, and Paleo FX was obviously obviously ayahuasca was was the bigger catalyst, but Paleo FX was uh, what brought me in, and it was to meet people. You know, and I think of like what a cool event that is because it has brought in such a, an amazing collection of awesome people from Ben Greenfield to Rob Wolf to Mark Sisson, all people that have been on my podcast and, and guys like yourself, brother, you know, so it's a way it's, I've always loved that for, um, you know, I'll go there and, and they'll be like, Hey, have you met so-and-so, you know, and it's, a, you know, it's another rad dude. And they're like, no, I haven't intro me to somebody that's, that's awesome. I think I might, might've met Paul Saladino there even. So just really rad people, and I, I really appreciate those guys. And I think next year, with things a little more settled down at the farm, we'll be back speaking there again and, and meeting the, the new crowd and the new group of people that are out there speaking. Were you a speaker this year? No. I, okay. was just, I just came to uh, attend. I was thinking about exhibiting, but it was super last minute, so we decided not to. They weren't apparently able to market it the way they wanted to because apparently there was some sort of forces, you know, let's say colluding to make it difficult for them. Uh, so they didn't get the emails out till pretty last minute. So we just decided I'll, I'll just go and, and meet people. And that was really what I wanted anyway, was just to go and, and meet and connect. And it is cool though. You, you mentioned, you know, there's sort of like a history there for me. I went to Austin the first time when I was probably 14 or 15 in like 2015, I think at Paleo Effects. And then I came back in 2018 with raw optics. It had just been born and we sort of like put ourselves a little bit on the map by exhibiting and it was packed. Like there were tons of outdoor booths and I met a bunch of the cool, you know, the community <clears throat> community. And then, yeah, it's definitely a connecting event. That's for sure. Yeah, no doubt. That's interesting. It's funny. You talk about the forces. We, we, <laughs> we, we, you can't tag us on Instagram for like the longest time. And people still like figure that out for the first time. They're like, dude, I went to tag you. And it says you can't tag at living with the Kingsbury's. And I'm like, yeah. Did you read the little, the little, <laughs> the fine, fine detail underneath that? Um, too much truth speaking is what I call it, but they call it misinformation these days. And a lot of my heroes are some of the top 12 on the misinformant list, you know, guys like Joe Mercola mm. and Sherry Tenpenny, you know, of course, medical, active medical doctors in the field. But anywho, uh, yeah, I, I recognize that Keith and Michelle have been people that have been spreading the truth 
over the last couple of years, and that likely has been a key ingredient in their challenges going forward right now with getting their event promoted and things like that. But they also have, you know, a pretty big following. So I imagine it wasn't too hard getting people through the door. How was the turnout? Was a lot of people Yeah, so it was definitely smaller than I expected. I mean, it went to the extent where apparently someone put together like a blackmailing list and uh, even built a whole website, basically something like therealpaleofx.com or something like that, that actually would say like if you exhibit we're gonna throw you on this list and like bundle you in and say you're like a white supremacist or something like that that they were Damn. going at these these people for so apparently there's a lot of last minute people dropping out i don't know exactly what happened but they did really well all things considered like it was still nice it was like a uh, someone described it more like a pop-up like a paleo effects pop-up because you know they're coming back from COVID. apparently they had to reschedule who knows how many times uh even this year so all things considered it was great and I, I ran into just the right people. I wanted to see, you know, you, Luke Story, and, and the gang, and so it all just worked out. Ben Greenfield, you know, he was around, so it all worked out well. Yeah, Ben's coming back um, later this month, I think, and we're going to jump on together, so that'll be cool. I'm going to come out to the farm and give him a little tour. I'd love to do that with you, but I've been I've just been so freaking busy. I was like, let's meet it on it. It'd be a lot Dude, easier anytime. to just jump on it. I'll with- be out here. I'm probably going to move. I'll probably move out here, at least establish a part-time base because I'm traveling so much that mostly for fun I'm traveling but uh you know I need a place to kind of plant myself and uh, I've been using all sorts of different spots but this would be the best especially considering those months I'm in the states I want to do business and connect and this is the only place as far as I'm concerned at this point for that yeah you're centrally located it's still a free society here which is Mm -hmm. um that's at the top of my list of places you know like when I think of where I'm going to go Talk about travel. I mean, you're a guy, I've seen you all over the world. I've, I've been up with you in Costa Rica and different places. Um, talk about what that's like, because you're a young man who, who started a successful business and you're really fucking dialed in, but you also like to surf and you like to do other shit and you just like to be out in nature a lot and, and obviously soaking up the sun. And we're going to dive really into that, into your medicine, uh, which Let's is as, as important as ever um, with the light diet. But talk a bit about that. What is it, what's it like, man, traveling around? How have the restrictions been? What are the requirements? That kind of stuff. Because we haven't left the country in two years. Yeah, so I, I left uh, in September, on September 13th of last year to a uh, direct flight from L.A. to Moscow. So I was in Russia for about a month in Moscow, St. Petersburg, and a central Russian city called Ufa. I had a pretty interesting experience where a buddy of mine is a pretty big – uh, Eastern medicine doctor in Russia. He's a training, practicing yogi. Uh, he's like a householder yogi, meaning his master sort of directed him to the path of having a wife to be like an example that you can be a spiritual man and also have a family and live in this world. So he's someone I really look up to. Uh, he's not public, um, but he works with some of the top people in every country, including Russia, politicians and you know, whatever actors and so on. So I was visiting him and he actually had said to me, <laughs> this is pretty interesting, but uh, it's funny to share this on a podcast, but he had basically said, Hey, if you ever get over to Russia, my wife, she's like a social media influencer. She has like 80,000 followers. Like we'll have her post that our American friends visiting and like, maybe we'll find you a Russian wife. I was like, that sounds cool. Like, why not? You know? <laughs> um, yeah, literally. So I, I was like, cool. You know, I didn't know if they were going to, in a few days before I was about to leave, like I ended up seeing all these stories and she literally took all these like collages of photos of us from the time we spent together, me, him, and his wife. And like, this is our friend, Matt. He's visiting Russia, blah, 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 blah. He has this company. He's into this lifestyle. We live spiritual, blah, blah, blah. And uh, 
And dude, I had like a hundred plus messages in like 12 hours from all these people. I was like, whoa, you know, cause they threw in a sort of joke, like he's single. And like, you know, the last time we, uh, we did this or something like that, this, that guy ended up like success, happily married, like to some woman <laughs> who had reached out to him. No so, pressure. Yeah, no, no pressure exactly. So it was really funny, but I, I ended up, uh, I ended up meeting someone who I really did connect with, like on a super deep level. She invited me out to central Russia and uh, t- she was like, hey, if you want to see, like, the real Russia, I was like, check, yes. Uh, I'll show you the Ural Mountains. I was like, check, yes, I want to see the Ural Mountains. And uh, the traditional Russian banya, I was like, check, like, three, you know. Fuck yeah. So I went out there. It was cool. And that was just a cool experience in and of itself, like, Russian culture. You know, there's obviously this whole war going on, but, like, it's just, you know, the the, the governments, right? Like, we, we know the people are good. Like, the people are all good there. They're, at least as I can tell, they're, like, sweet people. I love that they're very traditional. So they have this very like, let's say Judeo-Christian rooted uh, ethics or morality, something like, you know, Jordan Peterson talks about a lot where like there's a lot more um, solid ground, I feel, to stand on just in the general understanding of the world. Whereas in the the West, we have, you know, these sort of the woke culture and the just – you know, there's so much fluidity now, and it's, it's if you're not so <laughs> That's fluid, an yeah, term. <laughs> if, if you're not so fluid in your morals, then you're like considered like a, a bad person in many circles. Um, but there, I really had this refreshing energy of like, you know, there are certain basic principles of of biology and humanity that are just generally understood, and it was actually something that I found really uh, interesting. That the energy just felt refreshing, and on that note, like there's a very tremendous femininity there about the women and masculinity about the men, which I thought was really cool because not only is that I think conducive for a healthy society, but also for healthy individuals. And, you know, here we have tons of depression, anxiety, suicide, um, all this type of stuff. So Russia was dope. Let me jump in on that because this is, that's a fucking huge (laughs) topic right now, especially with my recent, my recent post on the gram, which, which I should dive into here. Um, all right, let me see if I can keep this keep this thread in my head, and I'll have you help me remember. Post on the gram, femininity and masculinity. Uh, the thing that I wanted to comment on is the, the Russian people, along with most countries that have been through war, know themselves. They know themselves. They know themselves through their spiritual practice. They know themselves through trials and tribulation. They know themselves from not fucking living in this pie in the sky reality where it's choose what you want it to be. Choose what you want it to be. Right? Let's just make believe whatever the fuck we want. And, and in part, um, you could say there's concepts of new age, there's concepts of whatever. It's really, I think, with a lack of real meaning, we search for meaning everywhere we can. With a lack of real controversy, we find it in everything. With a lack of real offense, we take offense to every little thing. And you know, through the birth of social media, we've seen that more and more, especially in the West. And I think none other, you know, there's no greater books than The Madness of Crowds. And I'm just working my way through uh, The War on the West, which is Douglas Murray's latest book, um, which is a phenomenal expose on critical race theory, on transgender, which is really what, what the post was about, um, and, and a number of other topics. And he's a homosexual male from the UK. So he's you know, from Europe, from a place that, that maybe isn't as war-torn as Russia or some of the other countries, but at the same time, they've been through it, and they've been through it, you know, on their land, right? They, they've received bombs on their land, right? Where we've had 9-11 and nothing since the Civil War here stateside, right? So we, we, we really, 
this generation has no fucking idea unless you're a combat veteran and you've been to those countries, you know, and I, I haven't been in war, but I've been to many war-torn countries doing tours for the troops. And I have an under, a general understanding of what that life actually looks like. You remember flying in Afghanistan in, uh, on a, a C-130 plane and looking down and seeing like, oh, these are the poppy farmers. Like this is where the heroin grows. This is, this is the fields. These are the goat farmers. These are the guys that, that they burn uh, dung patties to stay warm in the winter. Like this is what life is like here. And it's a fuck lot different than how it is where I'm from. Right. So there's very real, um, you know, tactile, substantial things that are like, what, what is, what does life look like for somebody like that? They don't have to dream of issues to be upset about because there are real issues right in front of them to deal with. Like, how do I stay warm? Uh, what is community, what does a successful community look like? Because if we don't have a successful community, we die. We don't thrive. Uh, if I'm running low on potatoes or something to stay nourished, who can I trade with? Who can I barter with? Who do I know in the community that can keep my family alive? And what can I give them in return that's of value to them? What do they need, right? Like these type of really uh, interpersonal, interrelated relationships are what humanity thrived on for as long as we've been here. And you take that out, you get, you know, it's almost like, like what, you know, the, great, the joke of the Great Reset video is that in part, a lot of that shit's already happening. You know, like you'll, you'll own nothing and rent everything. A lot of people live that way. Um, I did when I was younger. My parents rented everything when we were young and we, we, we didn't have much money. And, um, you know, the, the Amazon delivers everything to your door via drone. Like, and it's not just Amazon, it's anything you want. You know, it just shows up at your door. And again, you don't own it, you're just renting it. Those kind of things. When I think of that, that's kind of a lot, of, a lot of people live in that way right now. So there's no real stronghold or foundational piece that connects us to each other. We, we think the substitute of knowing somebody via the internet is the same as speaking to someone face-to-face. It's not. Because I can promise you, no one would ever say the shit that they say to me online face-to-face. How do I know that? Because I've been around for 40 years and fucking people don't do that. You know, at the very least, we have this this interaction and, and a lot of this happens in fit for service quite often. It was funny. I had, um, another good story and I don't want to go too off on a tangent before I talk on this, on this post on Instagram. But, um, there was, um, uh, uh, one of our members in fit for service that came out recently to the ranch in Lockhart and, you know, she different physical build, a little less healthy than I am, that kind of thing, but saw me in a certain way as the jock, the meathead, the, whatever, the role that I've been through, you know, college, kind of thing. And I was talking about having 35 chicks. I just got 35 chicks in my house and it's the coolest shit ever. And immediately she was like, what the fuck? Maybe she had heard that we were an open relationship or something like that before. Um, but it was hilarious because I, I start talking about all the trees we've planted and how I can't wait for these chicks to grow up so I can bring them out to the farm. And then she, it dawned on her, I was talking about chickens. She originally had, had painted this vision in her head of me as a certain person who was talking about banging a bunch of fucking chicks, calling women chicks, and uh, having them all at my house for some sex party. I don't know what, what she had thought, but she came over to me and she was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I totally painted you in this picture, and obviously I can tell that's not the case. And you know, that, doesn't, that wouldn't happen online. It only can happen face-to-face because over time and being in each other's presence, we feel each other's energy. You know, the, the heart strings are connecting with one another and she can sense 
that something's not adding up. And the thing that's not adding up is the judgment she has against me, right? It's the judgment of this guy is X, Y, and Z bad person I don't like when in actuality we fucking love each other and she's a great person, you know, and, and I did a, uh, kind of a meditation medley that really hit home for the group, uh, and, and spoke on stage and, you know, everything just landed for her over and over again. And by the end, I mean, she was even more apologetic at the end. And I'm like, Hey, that's the beauty of being face to face, right? That's why we do these things face to face for people who get that, you know, like we get that right now, we're sitting face to face and we, and I would have done this online because they know each other, but there is medicine in that that we can't lose, that can't be replaced through a Zoom call. It can't be replaced through FaceTime. And there's a lot of people that have replaced that. And, and even though they say, yeah, face-to-face would be good, I mean, they're, they're looking forward to the metaverse, right? Throwing on VR goggles and hanging out with their friends in Japan. It's not the same as flying to Japan. So I think those are, those are some of the key issues that have built the issues that we face in the West. And obviously, Douglas Murray, who I'm going to have on the podcast here shortly, goes way, 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 way deeper than that. But, you know, I made a post. I, 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 there, somebody, Paul Check sent me this meme, and I was in tears. I was laughing so hard. Sad but true. You know, it's a pregnant mom in a doctor's office, and she says, is it a boy or a girl? And he says, ah, we'll let the kindergarten teacher decide. <laughs> and, and I'm fucking, I was rolling. I was like, God, this is really sad but true. Not everywhere. Mm. Not everywhere. Right. So I, of course I didn't comment on it. I just left, you know, like the thinking emoji and, um, most of the people that did got it, got it. You know, they're either laughing with me or they were saying like, this is sad, but true, you know? And again, it's not everywhere, but we know this is happening in LA. We know this is happening in some places in New York city. We know this is happening in San Francisco. How do we know? Because people talk about it. They talk about, you know, child protective services being called. If you try to take your kid to a psychologist just to see what's going on. Is there something we should look at mentally first before we put you on hormone replacement therapy, right? And Murray dives into this deeply in uh, The Madness of Crowds. He has a whole chapter on it called Transgender. And to be perfectly clear, which is something that I didn't really get into on that because I just left the emoji, a lot of the quick responses from people that were upset were, how could you lump in entire you know, a massive percentage of our population, which it isn't, plain and simple. It's less than 2% of the entire population. But that still doesn't, <laughs> that's still not the post. The post is about children. It's not about transgender. You know, and people are calling me, hey, you're, you're hippie bullshit, X, Y, and Z, plant medicine talk, and then you're a bigot and a racist or a, a genderist or a this or a that. And, um, you know, no one's going to say that to my face. They'd ask the question further. Right, but instead online you get just the the oh fuck I'm offended fuck this guy burn him at the stake cancel him, you know what I'm saying? And again, it was a small minority, but that's that's where we're at online. And you know the truth is we've had we've had transgender people in at fit for service who I fucking love, and I didn't even know the guy was transgender. I just thought it was a dude. Good job. Like I had no idea you were transgender. We knew we had one in, and um. I wasn't even looking for the person. I just couldn't tell. And I, I disguise a dude, you know, and, and to me, he's a dude. If you want to change as an adult, fuck yeah, do whatever you want. And I'll honor that. Absolutely. Most transgender people though, don't want a non-pronoun specific word for themselves. They want to be a man because they felt like a man their whole life. They want to be a woman because they felt like a woman their whole life. So the, the getting rid of he and she shit, like that's, again, this is part of the issue that, that Douglas Murray really paints the picture of when you take a human rights movement and you succeed in it, 
but then continue to not take your foot off the gas, then you keep looking for the oppressor. You keep looking for the problem. You keep looking for the thing until you really start imploding. You start attacking yourself, right? And that, that really is the issue with where society is at right now in the West with some of the far left thinking, in my opinion, you know, in my opinion. I would agree with you. Certainly. Yeah. I'm glad you exposed all of this. It's, uh, it's, really, it's really true. And, and this is what I'm largely referring to, the feeling I got when I was there, this sort of socially, uh, that feeling of like there's this common understanding of like what a man is and what a woman is. And again, I'm not, um, how can I say, like people can do what they want with their lives, but when you start trying to legally compel people, other people to believe what you believe, even when it's not rooted in truth or fact or science, it becomes a pretty slippery slope, of course. And again, this is why I admire Jordan Peterson, who I don't know if you've interviewed him. I think Aubrey has probably a few times at least. And He's got a couple. I haven't yet, but man, I'd love to. Yeah, yeah. I think you guys would have a great conversation. That'd be amazing. <laughs> so so as far as travel, um, you know, this was really cool. Like overall restrictions, it was not, uh, it was not good, let's just say. Like in order to go into eat inside any restaurant in Italy and many other places you needed like a green QR card. code, green card. Yeah. Uh, so to eat indoors, to go on the trains, to go on planes in the airports. Um, yeah, to, it was as much as you could imagine, you know, like if you needed to take a, um, like a flight, you know, you'd need to have all that stuff. And so, yeah, it goes without saying, um, I was, I was able to make it work and, yeah, but it, it, was, it was... I can read between the lines there. It um, was just a bit of a... You know, it, it wasn't easy, let's just say. And so it was... Yeah, and you know, it was super interesting too is... Um, so they also don't... In Europe, they don't accept... They don't see... They don't uh, recognize the Russian uh, vaccine called Sputnik. And so... Um, my girlfriend, yeah, they just would not really make it easy for her uh, in in these cases. And so, you know, it was a really interesting scenario. I'll just leave it at that. Like they, they have this like uh, <laughs> just political, like we won't even take the, the Russian vaccine. And um, I'll leave that at that. I think the insightful listener can make their own judgments about all of what I'm sharing here. Uh, I'm not a fan of these uh, jabs. I'll just leave it at that, and neither is my partner. So uh, anyway, so we had an interesting time, and we had a great time, and it worked, and I'm hoping that they're going to dial things back, or they already are, because we're probably going to go back uh, and be around Europe in July, sometime like that. But, I mean, overall, like, so the restrictions, it is what it is, but, like, my logic was, who knows with where the world is going. I mean, it looks like things are going in a, in a relatively positive direction now, at least in places like Florida and Texas. And in the U.S., they ended the mask mandate finally on flights. Thank in the God. U.K., right? They, they, re, they pulled back quite a bit. David, When I had David Icke on the podcast, he was thrilled. He said in 30 years, he has not seen people stand together and stand up for their own personal rights until now. Thank God. And that, that's, that says a lot. We had Nick Corbishley on who wrote um, Scanned on vaccine passports and digital IDs and the future of humanity. It's an incredible book, a must listen. And for a lot of people that think they can just put this to bed and move on with their lives, this is still a topic of concern because this is ultimately where the drive is for. This is what the jab is for. This is what all this, this 
you know, boogeyman that no one can see the invisible war that's been going on is a drive towards that. It's a drive towards uh, centralized digital currency, central bank digital currency, CBDC. There we go, CBDC. Um, mm-hmm. And really top-down centralized government. You know, and then people like I have been saying it for a very long time. This is the concern. I'm not saying it's going to happen. The opposite of that, which is our push, is decentralized. Everything. Decentralized mm-hmm. governance. And I had um, perhaps one of the most brilliant thinkers on the planet right now, Mark Gober, who's a Princeton graduate, young man who wrote uh, An End to Upside Down Liberty. And I think that is a must, must, must listen for everybody. It's one of my favorite books of all time. He's the first guy to take government issues and look at them with a critical lens and then apply a true understanding of what spirit is, what consciousness is, in a way that, that's on par with Eckhart Tolle, Ram Dass, like wow. any of the great spiritual masters so on non-dual reality. Liberty. Yeah, it's okay. phenomenal. And when he makes this cross-section of physicalism, scientism, compared to non-dualism or unity consciousness, and then you have statism, which is people that think the only way forward is with top-down government control. And then the opposite of that is voluntarism, which is an, uh, an open source, uh, decentralized. And, and of course, you know, these are all terms where people are like, ah, open source this, decentralized that, crypto, blah, blah, blah. Um, he gets very specific you know, in what that actually means and the practicality of it. And it's very palpable to understand. You know, he, he's a beautiful and articulate person that really lays it out. Our podcast is phenomenal, but... Um, You'll love like that, to hear that. So again, like I've, I've, I've been really, it's been, the podcast has been somewhat doomsday in the sense of like, hey, fucking wake up to what people are trying to accomplish here. And then at the same time, with that, we get to give birth to something better. Amen. You know, brother, and that's really what it's about. I love this. So uh, I want to mention something about Joe Dispenza, who I've been studying very deeply and getting uh, to know a little bit over the last a year and a half. But first, I just want to mention regarding Russia and war, and you you know, this is a previous thread. When I was in Russia, one thing that struck me uh, was the the idea that I obtained from schooling in the States was that the United States won World War II, like because we came in and intervened, blah, 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 like we turned the tide of the war and like we won the war. And it was just interesting because like I actually had mentioned that uh, to my now girlfriend and she was like, what? Like, is that seriously what you guys believe? I was like, that's what, I mean, I, I guess I just never even thought about it. Like, our, you know, we're generally led to believe we won World War II, right, as America. I think America lost 800,000 men. Also, we did come in at like the last year of the war. Russia lost 27 million men, 27 million. So like more than 35 times as many people as the United States. Now, granted, they were in it like from the start, but like, they literally like she would always talk about like how their country lost so many men and like it's sort of a theme like they lost so many men and then like there's just a whole generation of like alcoholics and people who are just like traumatized like their whole country has just been ripped apart and it is really interesting um i do have friends over there who do like who aren't super involved in politics but like they accredit Putin actually with, and I'm not a fan of Putin just myself, but um, I don't really have an opinion per se, but that as Russians, some, and not super nationalists, like including this buddy of mine, kind of yogi, just kind of mentioned loosely, you know, uh, you know, the country's a lot better off than it was when he started, and it's 
this he didn't say, but like presumably, I think the the implication or an, an idea is that it, it might be better off than if it was like the United States system where it's like two parties, nothing ever gets done. Like it's much cleaner. Like it was basically, you know, at the fall of the Soviet Union, like it was run by like bands of thugs. Not that it's not also it's it's like centralized thugs, you could say in this case. But there it was like a clean um, – it was also shockingly – poor you know like the average i calculated like the average uber was six times less than in the states for like an average ride and like the average expense of everything was about like five to six times less like food maybe three to four times less so like you know here you go out for like a nice big meal and like now especially i don't think you're getting away for under like fifty dollars per person depending on what you get and easily more if you buy alcohol there it's like you could do like 10 20 bucks and like have like a nice meal you know and something simple from street food could be or street or whatever could be like five seven bucks which is pretty hard to get now uh, i mean maybe chipotle you can get a burrito and get out of there for like 13 dollars. but anyway i don't know exactly what it is but anyway that was super interesting and uh so about just uh joe dispenza so this idea of creating our new our new our own reality I love that he teaches that, you know, you really have your own reality, your own world in your head. And this is something I've sunk into more and more. It's like if everything outside is ultimately like an experience that I'm having in my mind, you know, not to say that it doesn't exist externally, but I've just been toying with the thought like, you know, from a scientific perspective, we understand that anything that's outside, technically this experience is occurring in my brain, right? Like there's no way that I'm aware of at least that you could prove that the outside world's really happening. You know, so it like, it's almost like a scientific, it is a scientific way to look at this idea that you create your reality. Because if that is true, which again, from a basic scientific perspective, it's like, how could you ever prove, how could one ever prove to me that there's anything occurring outside of me? It's like, it's, it's hard to do. It's just, it's a, it's an interesting thought experiment and all of the information that's coming in, like even looking at you and looking at all these objects, like, yes, I see a chair and I see like a wood wall and, a, you know, all these things, the cables, like we have a meaning and a name for all of them. But from a physical perspective, purely physical, it's just literally like electromagnetic information that doesn't have, we could say like in and of itself, like it doesn't have an innate meaning, right? Except that the meaning that I have learned to apply to it. And so the example that people can maybe connect with is like a baby who's born into the world or like the, maybe another would be this state of, uh, you know, maybe enlightenment, like Christ consciousness, where like you're not judging everything, you're just absorbing the information, but a baby is better because they don't have a judgment. They don't know what things are named or what even they're for. They're just absorbing it. And so we create our reality, it seems, by, you know, taking what others tell us or maybe developing our own thoughts based on that or maybe based on past lives or based on intuition or something. But nonetheless, like we create this structure and then at a certain point, like everything that's coming in is just like locked and we sort of accept that it is the way it is. And, you know, maybe for like things like chairs and sofas and dressers and walls, like that's pretty useful, like to kind of lock in like what the understanding of it is. But I think the part that's not useful is when we start to try to like lock everything in because that's where we kind of tend to as as humans it seems like we want everything to be understood like the sky is the sky and then the universe is this and the bang big bang and everything started like that and so with the as i understand you know the dispensa ideas and and what's really and much more ancient spiritual teaching just by changing our belief our 
way that we'd like to interpret some kind of information, everything can be really cool. Like I could think in the same moment, I could be like, you know, I'm a materialist and I'm on this earth and I'm just, it's all material and I'm here doing a podcast with you and like you're Kyle Kingsbury and we're here and we're at the, you know, on at HQ and I'm in Austin, Texas and like have all these like defined variables and be like, this is this and this. And to me, it just takes out a lot of the interesting spark of like, uh, out of life. Like it take there's a certain component of, let's say beauty and magic that goes away when everything has to have a label. Like, and I'm, as I entertain more of these ideas from different masters and books I've been reading, it's like, what if we just try to let go of that stuff? Okay. Yeah, sure. I'm in Austin, Texas and all this, but like the present moment, it's like, we're on a rock. They say, I mean, some people say it's flat. Some people say it's spherical. That's the mainstream narrative. Like, and I don't really have opinions on that one either, because how could I possibly know uh, other than just by believing someone who told me something about, you know, astronomy, but, um, just accepting like, that's the way it is. And if, whether it's a, whether the earth is a sphere or flat or whatever, you know, like, and again, that's an interesting one to bring up because it gets pretty controversial. Just even touching that and saying like, well, I don't have personal evidence, but most scientists agree that it's a sphere. So let's go with the fact that it's the idea that it's a sphere and, and just trust in the authorities on that one and say like, we're flying through space, but we don't know where we are. Like, we don't know what the space is. Or like, if someone's like, well, yeah, you're in the Milky Way galaxy, you're in the universe. It's like, like, where's that? Or like, what's that? And to me, it's just a really trippy question. When you really sink into it, it's like, this is such a trip. Like, it's such a weird experience. But then to bring that back and be like, I'm sitting here with my buddy Kyle and we're just doing a podcast. Like, something about that shift in perspective to like, yes, maybe I need to make money and work and, you know, do certain things to like survive within the context of what we understand about this life. Like, maybe those things are true. But to just get so serious about it, which I spent so many years doing, like even again, just starting a business out of high school and traveling, like I was so stressed so much, just like taking everything so seriously, just being able to be like, like, am I just in a dream? Like this, is this just a dream? And I'm, I'm like a lucid dreamer and I can just kind of create anything for me. It's really freeing to have that different perspective and that we can really make almost anything we want of this life. Yeah, it's it's beautiful, and it touches on you know it's it's funny because it, you can make fun of certain new age concepts, and Dispenza gets lumped in to that crowd in certain ways, uh, the secret things like that. But the truth is there there is an inherent wisdom in manifestation practices, and I can I can speak to that from personal experience. It's really the n equals one that matters on that. But he's done n, n equals one times a thousand over and over and over again. He's got over a thousand people at his seminars where he coaches them through very specific brainwave entrainment states and how to um, draw in the life that they, that they select. And perhaps most importantly in his teachings, which is certainly one of the most important things for me, is the understanding, the psychological and scientific understanding that we get addicted to our biases. We get addicted to our negative emotions. We get addicted to the feeling of upset, to the feeling of um, offended. You know, and so like it pairs well with this con the first part of this conversation because um, if you don't, you know, and, and Sebastian Younger talked about this in Tribe, right? Like he talked about it as uh, on Rogan's as well as in the book that with a lack of true meaning and purpose in our life, what are the things that make us feel alive? Anger makes you feel alive. Like that hotness when the fire burns brightly inside, you know you're fucking alive. You may not like the feeling per se on paper. But something inside you is desperately seeking th 
that feeling of aliveness. It's desperately seeking the feeling of this matters. And it could be something that someone said online, as ridiculous as that, or it could be, um, you know, my little child is about to get hit by a car and fuck that guy for driving that way. And, and holy shit, you know, whatever the case is, right? It could be right in front of you, or it could be something way off in the distance that's a concept in the mind. And you've perceived that to be an error in someone else's ways. And it, and it, it goes beyond frustration. It goes to fucking burn this guy at the stake, right? <laughs> the Salem witch trials. Um, but it's very interesting to me, and it happens early on in Becoming Supernatural in a number of his books where he really does speak to this addiction that is there. And it's, and it's there because you know, the way our brain works is it writes these neuronal pathways that become really interesting grooves. It starts as a dirt road, then it becomes a two-lane highway, then it becomes a, you know, an eight-lane mega highway in LA where that, that groove is greased so well, it becomes very easy. Bam, I'm offended. Right. And I think part of the issue with where we're at culturally is needing to it's it's needing to wipe the slate clean and rewrite what that looks like. What is the world that we want to live in? And and do we you know how much is in my control? That's always a question, right? But that's the fucking serenity prayer. Like, let me handle what's right in front of me. Let me handle what I can control and let me not worry about the things that are out of my control. And God, please give me the fucking wisdom to know the difference between those two things. Right. And I think that that's a, that's a critical piece as well. Um, but, but Dispenza's work, I mean, it's so great. And Emily Fletcher, who's one of my favorites and disagrees with me on a lot of this stuff. Um, <laughs> I don't write her off. She's a, she's a G she's amazing. She's, she's one of my mentors and her meditation practice has completely changed my life. And she pairs that the three M's mindfulness, meditation, and manifestation. Um, you know, that manifestation piece she's worked with Joe Dispenza directly on, you know, they're doing uh, some collaborative work right now. And, and I do feel, you know, like there, ultimately there are bridges between these gaps that seem to be ever increasing. Right. But one of the first steps in anything we're going to do in any type of transformation is the self-reflection. It's the self-work and it's seeing where am I out of alignment? Where am I not in forgiveness? And, and I think, you know, back to Douglas Murray, that's one of the beautiful things that he proposes is maybe instead of cancel culture, we can learn from the ancient spiritual masters and learn to forgive. We can learn to have compassion. We can learn to shift our perspective and say, I may not agree with you, but I see why you believe what you believe, right? Even if it's fucking flat earth, right? Like you could say like, hey man, I don't agree with you, but I can see why you believe what you believe and I'm not mad at you for that. I'm not gonna judge you for that. Amen. Yeah, brother. Well, let's, let's dive in. We, we, you know, it's been a minute since we've been on. I think the last time we were speaking, we were kind of in the thick of um, the hocus pocus. Actually, for- it was so uh, – oh, yes, we were. So the first podcast was here September 2019. I was thinking back to it. I came and I had just arrived from Europe uh, a few months traveling, and that was on your show. But, yeah, when I came to Austin last January 2021 – so things had relatively died down, but it was still deep. And, and people should check out that interview. It's on the Light Diet podcast, my show with Kyle Kingsbury. It's one of the you know, first 10 episodes interviewing guests. And uh, that was 
really well received, by the way. Like, it's a, I don't do my podcast a lot. I only, you know, occasionally when someone comes up seasonally, right? Or I'll do like solo episodes. I call them quantum field reports, like a field report, but like Joe Dispenza calls it the quantum field. So it's like sort of the quantum field report. I thought it was a clever name. Anyway, (laughs) that's my solo (laughs) cast. So um, they're they're quite, they're quite fun, actually. I'll just rant or not rant, but explicate a subject for however long it needs. And that was well-received, like uh, a good buddy of mine who's a, a fan of yours, he was like, dude, that was a great podcast. Like, you know, you really got Kyle, just, you were just going, dude. There was like a thousand book recommendations from that episode. So that was super, super I'm, awesome. I'm, that's a good and a bad thing. Yeah. It's something I try to work on. As no, no, it was really good. It wasn't. listed three <laughs> first 20 minutes of this. I appreciate it, actually. Um, let's, let's talk light diet and let's refresh people, you know, because there were some key stats uh, early on that some of the misinformation informatives, you know, were, were, were really big on, on showing people like, why, why is no one talking about zinc? Why is nobody talking about hydroxychloroquine? Why is, why is nobody talking about quercetin and, and the ability from both hydroxy HCQ and quercetin to grab zinc and take it into the cell. And then it's antiviral components from that, that point, right? Dude, yeah. Like, why is nobody talking mechanism of action with things that we have in fucking grocery stores right now? And, and one of the most critical, in my opinion, was D3. Why is no one talking about this vitamin that, that many experts now say is more of a hormone than a vitamin because of uh, its ability to influence so many epigenetic on-off switches within the body that really we can access for free just by being in the right dose of sunlight, the right dose of exposure, and, and by getting outdoors more and being in tune with nature more and doing all the fucking things our ancestors did. How come that's not being discussed? And, you know, I've, I've painted my view on that pretty clearly in this podcast, but let's talk a bit about what you've gathered um, from the light diet perspective and, and how that really does grant us the ability to take health back into our own hands. And, and, and you know, sovereignty really starts with us, you know, on an individual level. Do I have bodily sovereignty? Do I have my health? Is that within my control? And if it's not, what can I do to make that so? And I think the light diet is obviously one of the most important cornerstone foundational pieces of that. Yeah, man. Thanks for asking. So there's a, quite a bit I could unpack here, but I'm inclined to start with a little, uh, so a little refresher of my story and how I got into the light diet for folks who might, this might be their first podcast. So paleo actually. So I had years of struggling with different diets and uh, pardon, with different health issues. So gut issues, allergies, headaches, and then Western medicine for the headaches prescribed me Advil, for the gut issues, GastroDoc prescribed Tums, and for the uh, allergies, the allergists prescribed Advil, Claritin, you name it. So that was the extent of my experience with Western medicine, no questioning about anything deeper. So started looking, my mother was helping, tried a naturopath doc, kind of went in the right direction, but it wasn't deep enough. And by the time I, I became 14 years old, so this was from age six, as young as I can remember, really. By the time I became 14, went into high school, started getting bad breakouts of acne. And I was like, no, thanks. I accepted that everything else was, was totally genetic. I was like, you can't change your genes. And so my mom had allergies. I have allergies. It's just how it is. So I started looking for how I could clear my skin. And then I learned about paleo. I saw an article written by Mark Sisson. I loved his blog. I still look up to him very much as a, you know, as someone who led me down the right path in the beginning. And also, partially, I believe, uh, honestly, down 
the not right path, but I wasn't to learn that till much later. So he had a blog where he talked about epigenetics, and it was the first time in my life where I felt something that I had wanted to feel my whole life, which is that we are unlimited. We have the, ca- the capacity to be unlimited. With the science of epigenetics you know, states that our genes aren't set in stone. My challenges weren't meant to be my destiny, right? And so I could modify these. Now, the erroneous conclusion was 80% diet and 20% everything else is that how epigenetics, how we can modify our body and take advantage of epigenetics. 80% food, 20% exercise and everything else. And I believed it fully because when I first went paleo primal, I felt so much better. So I was like, it must be all about food. Went deeper, 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 deeper. I went paleo autoimmune. I did FODMAP. I did GAPS, basically. Gaps is not an easy diet for people to do. Not easy at all. Yeah, and there was no like concept of like best ways of doing it. It was 2015, 2014, 2015. So it was like seven years ago. No one was doing this stuff. And so I was just like the kid with the internet connection, just like trying to figure my life out here. At least I thought solving my health. Yeah, I was a freshman. (laughs) And so I I just was desperate. I was super, super desperate and suffering, uh, struggling tremendously. That's that's like the – greatest teacher pain pain teacher yeah yeah right shout out to paul so um i ended up i ended up getting so deep and strict on these diets and not feeling any better at all like i actually felt worse than when i started energetically maybe some of my symptoms had gone away and i thought well if 60 percent of my symptoms went away for example with paleo well then i must be able to knock them all out by getting rid of these trigger foods Now, this is where we get into a really interesting conversation for me, which is the shortcomings of elimination diets and the most well-known of which today is the carnivore diet. So I came to believe that I bought into this, as I mentioned, erroneous idea that diet was the main factor in epigenetic health. But then I further took it to believe that the paleo idea, for those who aren't familiar, although I imagine most of your audience is, is that our ancestors ate a certain way and we were healthy. We've now eaten a different way and we're unhealthy. And the main main issue is that the foods we're consuming are damaging our gut and that's causing leaky gut and constant like protein sliding in from our digestion undigested into our immune system. It activates the immune system, these undigested proteins that haven't been broken fully down into amino acids. And then the this activation of the immune system causes basically inflammation and problems in the body. Now it's simplified, but that's basically what it is. And so the idea of autoimmune paleo was like, well, you've already taken out your dairy, you know, your at least refined dairy, refined legumes. sugar, legumes, grains, and um, that's basically it, grains and legumes. So that's the, and seed oils, refined seed oils. So that's paleo. With autoimmune, it's like, well, there are these other foods that are technically allowed on paleo that you got to take out. So you got to not take out your nightshades, your, your, so your tomatoes, your um, eggplant, you know, your peppers. Yeah. Then you got to take out your nuts and seeds. All nuts and seeds are gone, including spices that contain nuts and seeds. Then you got to take out all dairy. If you're having a little raw dairy, no more. No goat dairy, no nothing. Uh, You got to cut out, yeah, everything, including chocolate, tea. It's all gone. So alcohol, get it. So I was, I mean, I wasn't like super connected to coffee or alcohol or chocolate. So I was like just trying it my best. And I even went to GAPS, which is like, well, you might as well just go all the way to like eating only like bone broth-based meals with tons of bone broth and like well-cooked vegetables. So they're super easily digested and like well-cooked meats, you know, in the sense that they're just soft and easy to digest and, you know, even strung apart like chicken soup. And so the idea would be then that after some time of removing these foods, your body would start to heal itself 
and you might be able to reintroduce these foods. Now, this is the kicker, and I didn't think about it then because I didn't know any better. But never one time ever did anyone touch on what is the force responsible for that healing that supposedly occurs when you remove those foods for a long enough time. It's just this huge like elephant in the room. It's, it's something that it's there and their whole assumptions, all of the diets and everything they do is predicated on the existence of this healing energy that works in these, you know, ways that are so unknown that they wouldn't even give it a second of attention. But at, even though the diet is what they're talking about, the fundamental assumption is that the body has this innate healing capacity and it will heal itself. But they don't spend even a second, not even a word, writing about that, that subject itself. And that's where I became really interested in this because I was like, well, there's got to be – I didn't at the time. I just struggled. I just struggled and struggled and struggled. I learned about uh, this guy, Dr. Jack Cruz, really intelligent guy in the world of light and mitochondria and energy. And he started saying that, well, it's not just about the food you're eating. If your body's circadian rhythms are damaged and your mitochondria are damaged, these engines that process the fuel, it doesn't really matter too much what you're eating. Or in other words, not that it doesn't matter, but you won't be able to heal if fundamentally the engines that process your fuel and power your life are still damaged. No matter how good the fuel is that's going into a car, if you go from regular to premium, you can't fix broken spark plugs with premium gas. You, know, you might be able to prevent issues in the future, but you still have to go in and take them to the mechanic and get the spark plugs replaced or fixed up. And so the diet, the whole concept of trying to use diet to heal the body is like trying to use gasoline in the car to try to fix worn out broken spark plugs in an engine. It doesn't go deep enough, generally speaking. So I read this book uh, under the direction of Dr. Cruz and, and several other books actually, but one's called The Body Electric by Dr. Robert O. Becker. And it's sort of a sort of iconic landmark book in the field of energy medicine because it was one of the first Western scientists to really detail that the body is electrical in its origin, electromagnetic. And he discovered this because he wanted to understand why humans couldn't regenerate whole limbs, but salamanders couldn't. He looked at everything in the salamanders, like what's happening when they're regenerating a limb. And it turns out when they're regenerating a limb, there's this electrical field that basically makes up the salamander. So that even when a limb is cut off, there's a sort of consciousness and awareness or consciousness uh, innate intelligence of where the arm needs to regrow. So he points out really interestingly that in traditional biology, there's no explanations like whatsoever of, so how does the eye know to become the eye? So every single cell in the whole human body has the same 23 chromosomes with the exact same genes. So it's like, how does the brain become the brain, the eye become the eye, the kidney tissue become kidney and liver become liver and the toes know where to be and the head knows where to be. There's no answers for that in standard biochemistry and biology, which is what these diets are largely predicating their, their uh, perspectives on is a more basic understanding. And so Becker did a great job to at least unveil the existence of this energy field. So back to the healing diets, just to kind of go straight to the punchline. The, if your energy field, I came to learn through years of struggles and ultimately didn't even start to really put these pieces together till more recently studying from Dispenza, but if our energy field is fundamentally limited or damaged or constrained, whether it's by emotional trauma, 
uh, which I didn't believe in at all years ago. I thought it was all, when I first got into this light stuff, I thought it was all about light and sun and you could heal yourself with all that. And I don't believe that anymore. It's It's a factor, right? But it's not the only factor. If your field is constrained because, yeah, you live constantly under toxic, modern, artificial lighting and you're never out in the sun, that's another constraint. Um, Obviously, eating constantly excess amounts of bad food is also like a constraint. So you don't want to be eating bad food. But if your field is, let's say, your your innate healing power, which the ancients would have referred to as like prana or chi or life force energy, if that is somehow constrained or blocked – then you would be the person who does the autoimmune protocol for years and you're never able to reintroduce those foods versus the person who just does it for a few months and is able to reintroduce those foods. And a friend of mine, and that was the missing factor they never talked about. Um, A friend of mine is a functional medicine doc and he would tell these amazing stories from the clinic he was working in where they would like do these uh, these treatments of all these cocktails and IVs and all the stuff they use in functional medicine, the, the supplements and the diets to kind of kick people back up. And it was interesting that like if they took like some 60-year-old person who even though they're older and their life force energy has kind of you know dwindled over their lifetime, they're like a, still a vital person and they just needed that kickstart. A lot of these older patients would react, he said, very well to these treatments. And then if you took some kid who is like always on their video game system, like super sick, they wouldn't they wouldn't respond to these treatments because like the difference would be that the older person, yes, their systems are kind of going down, but they're somehow their fundamental energy in their cells is still vital enough that they would respond to these treatments and it was enough to kick the system back up versus like a kid who grew up and never saw the sun and literally just video games all day long. And like that kid is sick, not just because of their field and their body being worn down over many years, but because it's been like acutely just destroyed. In fact, it was never even given a chance to like develop and uh, those kids wouldn't respond to these treatments. So I thought that was an interesting anecdote that very much relates into here. But so all that's to say, if someone, if someone's energy field is fundamentally disrupted through any of the ways we've discussed, they're not healing when they do an elimination diet. They're not healing when they do a carnivore diet. And so I feel quite strongly about this because I've seen the carnivore diet explode and I have nothing against the carnivore diet. I don't think it's bad. I actually think for some people it's really good. For some people it's the only thing they can do to get themselves out of chronic pain, right? Like they cut out those foods, um, lower the, the, the stress of the plant toxins, quote unquote, on their digestive tract and their gut and the leaky gut and all this stuff and the inflammatory cascade that causes. But if you're on the carnivore diet for a year or two, and then you try to reintroduce like a blueberry, a single blueberry, or like a piece of sweet potato or broccoli or whatever, spinach, kale, all the things they demonize, what have you, and your body reacts like crazy. You haven't healed. You haven't healed at all, actually. You're still treating symptoms, and you haven't healed your field, which is where real healing occurs, as Becker you know, very, very nicely demonstrates in his book. So it's like, again, there's nothing per se – that I would say wrong about carnivore, although I will point out that several of my uh, good friends, many several of whom are big in the carnivore world, have horrible body odor because of probably excess consumption of meat and their body literally can't process that meat and they put it out as toxins. That's a kind of different point. But there are plenty of people who don't respond to the carnivore diet well. But what I'd like to attempt to break apart is there's a, a fallacy that by eating a certain way, your body's going to heal. And it's like, 
yes, you're giving your body more of the raw materials. This is another great thing to kind of get into. So like the body, it will benefit if you, you know, if you give it like if you're nutrient deficient and you give your body liver, uh, you know, you'll have all those nutrients. If you eat more meat, you're going to have more protein. So you're going to naturally get more ripped. If you cut out plant toxins, you're going to take off that, let's say, stressful inflammatory load to the gut and things are going to calm down. So like there's these benefits to doing this that people are seeing. However, in the case especially of nutrients, so matter itself doesn't have an innate, um, it doesn't have innate power to do things. In other words, if you just had a bunch of iron on the ground or a bunch of copper or zinc, like it's not organizing itself into a living organism. That happens with energy, specifically sunlight and, and, and light energy in general, prana and so on. And so to say that you can heal by just consuming significant amounts of nutrients it's like saying I could just, yes, yeah, spoon feed, you know, minerals into my body and like it's going to make me healthier. Like it's, it's, that's not the factor that gives health. So it's even better to step back another layer. So health we could say is like, uh, I would say a physical uh, expression and spiritual as well, expression of life that is functioning well. Because if we look at the, the bare, the premises, the base uh, premises that we have here, in order to have health, you're, we're predicating it on life, something that's alive. Because if it's not alive, you can't have a healthy corpse, right? So something has to be alive. And then only from there can we have health. So it's worth discussing and looking at like what makes something alive versus dead. And it's, it's very clear. It's energy. It's an energy field. And that's why like even when we point at a corpse, you wouldn't say like, you know, if, if I were dead, you wouldn't say that's Matt. Like you'd say it's Matt's body, generally speaking. Because what makes me, me is the energy that's no longer in the body when I'm gone. And so the soul, you know, it's been called by many a, a master and many people in general. So that field of life, the soul, the spirit, the energy field needs to be present first. And then health would just be the state of everything in the, in the body, which is, as Becker showed, the body is predicated on the existence of the field. So like not only does, is the field required for the healing of a salamander's limb, but if we were to take it a step further, and this is where Dispenza really makes it really interesting, the body, the matter, is actually just like, he calls it a hologram. So the field of energy is actually what we really are. And we know that matter is mostly open space anyway. Like all matter is something like 99.9% .9 open space and a tiny amount of space is taken up by the protons and neutrons and electrons. And so when I try to, if I were to try to like put my hand through you, it's not even like that something's physically blocking me. It's just electromagnetic repulsion, you know? There's some people, there's like an interesting physical phenomenon that says you can't even actually touch something because there's nothing to touch. It's just, if I hit this table, it's just an electromagnetic repulsion that's putting me back at a much more microscopic level than, say, two magnets at a much more macroscopic level that you can't get them to touch because they're, you know, forcing each other apart. And so that field is what is who we are. And the matter that we see is just a sort of condensation, like a more condensed, slowed down version of that energy field. And so we're sort of seeing like with our, because our senses are limited, I can only see like Kyle Kingsbury the body with my visual senses right now if i were to really tap in i can feel your energy right and a great master could maybe even sense every thought you're thinking because they can feel every bit of your field right and they can sense every thought in the universe for a matter uh for that matter so 
Health would be that that field is, because again, it's not all about matter. Health would be, we're going from the, the energy first now. So health would be that that field is functioning well because from this understanding of life, there, the matter doesn't exist without the field. It doesn't become a part of the organism. So like when we take in a bunch of nutrients, say in liver, the field has to be working well enough to be able to direct it where it's going to go. And so the idea that I started to gather through my own study, you know, learning from Dr. Cruz and then starting to study these ancient masters is that not only are we just an energy field really, and our body is just a sort of hologram that we can see rep that's our sort of 3D version of ourselves, our emissary in the three-dimensional world. If, if the field is dysfunctional, the body can't work. And so if someone tries to go like on a fully elimination diet, like I did for years, or they go all the way, they go carnivore, unless they're actually addressing their root challenges, whether it's beliefs, emotional problems, lack of natural light, you know, maybe they never train and so they're never activating their, their body, they're not really healing. So that's a fallacy that I see that um, it quite bothers me because so many people think that just by doing that, they're going to get healthier. And oftentimes, it's not the case. There's plenty of cases of people, you know, whether on Reddit or whatever, who have tried extreme elimination diets and they're still suffering. And I did that for so many years and I went even further. Like I, I actually, I did the same thing I did with food, with light. So I went into light, like super deep and I became obsessed. Like, oh, the food wasn't the thing. It's light. And I took that same level of like, I'm so sure that I'm right about this food without actually acknowledging like, wait, maybe I should like check my blind spots. I was so wrong about food. Could I really be this right about light? And I applied it like, you know, you got to get sun. And because I was following sort of, let's say an expert or guru who I saw as, as this genius and uh, ultimately learned that no one seems to know really everything except maybe some really enlightened master. Um, so I started to think if I, if I only, it wasn't about food, but if I only got the right amount of sun and this and that, then I would heal. And yet I was still like suffering so tremendously, like uh, super stressed in my mind. So not physically, I was doing better physically that I, I, I was at, at one point where I had like gone through this whole health journey. I'm running my business like years into my business. And I was just, I was so, uh, so stuck even around when we did the first Kyle Kingsbury podcast, like a lot of the time, even though I would, you know, I would teach these things I'd learned about light, which are valuable principles, I believed it was the be all end all. But my own experience was reflecting to me, it's not. There's so much more. That's when finally at a certain point I started looking into energy and Dr. Joe Dispenza came up as a name to really look into. And I saw his podcast with Aubrey and I was like, this guy seems to get it. You know, it's not, there's no way it's just about light because if it was, I'd be like Superman over here. And I was still stuck in my mind. So it came to like a whole new level where the light diet isn't just about taking care of our environmental light exposure. It's, it's sort of uniting the Western philosophy and understanding of and the science really from Dr. Becker that lays the foundation saying like there is this energy field and no one's really funding deep study of it right now. I'd love to one day, you know, that's like a dream if as raw the business grows to fund research, but no big corporations that have the money to do that are doing that because there's no, it, it's the end to all pharmaceuticals as they know it. It's not like going to support something they want to do. So that's why they don't, they won't do it. So we will one day. So, yeah, so basically we want to, we want to bridge that gap between Becker and his work and this understanding that we are a field and use that as, as a, 
you know, the skeptic will never believe, right? Like the profane, as Dispenza would call them, they're never going to believe. So the skeptic would say, well, I need to see the studies that link Becker's research and show that exactly step by step by step, you can modulate your health with your mind. With your mind. The cool thing is Dispenza and his team are now proving that. But we can at least use the understanding of Becker and several other books in that energy medicine. People can actually Google search like scientific energy medicine. They'll get a million. Actually, there's a lot of more research in that one book. So we can use that, at least I did, as a opening and an invitation to maybe there is something to be learned from the great masters of the East who actually studied these very principles deeply, personally, intuitively for thousands of years, you know, hundreds of generations, these people studied these principles and then look that way, which is of course, you know, way down the line of where ultimately you and Aubrey and and this kind of world is and has been for a long time. I share this because I think there are so many people still stuck on where I have been as well that, you know, you need the scientific research or it's just all woo woo or, you know, you're going to solve your health problems with diet alone. It's like ultimately, no matter how great the diet and the light could make you feel physically, if, if the mind is so stressed, like you're not going to be a happy person. And so it led me to this place of like, well, why don't we start working on our inner light? That's, that's the core of really what the light diet is. It's learning that we have the ability with our mind to modulate and affect our inner field. And then it, it went to, a, it came to, let's say, a head, so to speak. Like it all came to a, a peak when I went to some of Joe Dispenza's in-person events. Now I've been like, uh, I've been to five of them in the last year and a half just because I was so stoked that I just wanted to keep more, going more, back. More. Yeah, and you know, mainly, largely to learn how he does it because I'd like, I'd love to teach these things one day, you know, on, on, a, on a scale if, if it's my path. But um, there are people at the events who literally heal from serious diseases and in an instant by overcoming an emotional blockage. Like, you know, he'll say, he'll say it. And there are people you see, they come on the stage, they tell their story, literally people who have been fully blind and recovered their sight, people fully deaf, they recover their hearing, people who are fully paralyzed, like fully paralyzed or paralyzed waist down, like walking, even running by the end of the week, swimming laps in the pool at one of the events I was at. It's like, that to me is something that's, he calls it becoming supernatural, right? Like that's supernatural. And after years of searching, it all came together. It's like, I wasn't looking on the light diet, you know, back to this concept about the light diet and how we have control over our inner domain and our health. Like I wasn't looking for health, let's say. I felt one time at, you know, as I did a deep meditation, like a deep sense of love and wholeness that I had never felt as far as I could remember in a long, long time at least. And I just thought, oh my gosh, like I just wanted to feel like love. I wanted to feel whole. I wanted to feel grateful for life. That's what I wanted. That's all I wanted with all the stuff I was trying to do. And actually in the process of saying to myself that I needed to be carnivore or be paleo autoimmune protocol or be doing all the sunlight and blocking all the blue light and all these things that I sort of built even a company on, like those weren't the be all end alls. It was just that all I wanted to do is feel this love, but I thought I had to do all these other things to do that. And then like you got Dispenza here teaching like actually, no, like the path of the masters. And, and then I've been reading some great masters like Yogananda, Paramahansa Yogananda more recently. And 
Uh, I love Michael Singer's book, The Untethered Soul, and The Surrender Experiment. They're amazing. I imagine you're. I thought familiar. The Surrender Experiment was dog shit. But oh, I really? Lo- but, but, yeah. Really? <laughs> I did. Uh, yeah, and I know he's writing a new book. Uh, he's, he's friends with one of my clients, and I was like, tell him it's got to be better than Surrender Experiment. Untethered Soul is phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, I was, I was, it was, uh, <laughs> I was let down with surrender. Really? But Interesting. Don't, you know, it might be, it might be your medicine for other yeah, people. So. Maybe. Cause for me, I was, for me, it was like profound. I liked the idea that he would just let go and surrender at every step. Although it seemed, it seemed like, how do you, how does that work? How do you do that? And, um, but anyhow, I think, I think to that point, um, you know, I, I saw like a five minute dispense a video on Instagram once that was taken from Facebook and, uh, it was it was on the topic. I had a bunch of people send it to me in the same week, but it was on the topic from one of his events on manifestation and how do you work with intention and surrender, right? Like if I intend this thing and I write it down and I have this goal, how do I then balance that with surrender and letting go? And he said, well, the, the way we utilize intention is we utilize it, and this is how he teaches manifestation. We, we call it into being as if it is already so. So the thought mirrors the the feeling right then we have electro and we've got the magnetism and when our thoughts mirror the feeling of if it's already so that's that's our intention through the way of his manifestation then the surrender piece is we surrender to the how and the when that that shows up right and so that that's the balance point of these two seemingly paradoxical pieces um that five minute video was just like that's fucking it that is mm-hmm. exactly it. And that is exactly it on ayahuasca. That is exactly it on any of these like big deep journeys that people do. Um, the, the balance point of that, the, the letting go of the control of I want it this way or it has to be this person or it has to be X, Y, and Z. Like when we can surrender that piece, that's where the greater mind of the all consciousness can serve us the best way, better than we can even imagine it. So, and if we can let go of the how and the when and trust that it already is, then, then it fucking comes. Know, that that's yeah. that's a big piece of it, and of course, taking steps towards that thing, right? It's not just uh, wishing it upon a star; it's fucking doing the damn thing to make that uh, reality, right? Yeah, I thought so. Just a lot of this is actually tying together really nicely. So, where I thought that I had to go out in the external world, quote unquote which as I was mentioning earlier, I'm not so sure even really exists in a certain sense or that there is any distinction between what I consider to be the internal world and the external world, that actually it's all just, it is just the world and there's not internal and external. It's everything I see external is a reflection of me and people say, you know, you don't see the world as it is, you see it as you are, but it's like, what if we actually just are the world, you know, and that is it. And so there's this song that comes to my mind, we are the world. But, but actually, like, in a way, that's what the great masters seem to realize, as, I, as far as I can tell. Like, they realize that there is no real separation and that they are their experience of everything around them all the time. And just by, you know, doing that inner work, they can sort of eliminate resistance to that, which is why the surrender experiment resonated with me um, on one level. But anyhow, at this, uh, at this Dispenza experience, I, I had this feeling of so much love, right? So much joy. And, and as he was explaining, you don't have to go out and, and you know, necessarily push super hard to get the things you want. He says, you could just get, catch, you know, feel the energy. And a lot of people say, oh, this is like woo woo. Like, how does that work? You just feel the energy and eventually it comes. You know, for me, what I started to understand or feel really 
is if there is no real distinction between my inner world and the outer world, the two are intimately intertwined and in fact one and the same, then the real work of anything I want to achieve isn't the actual doing of the thing in what, what most consider the external world. It's the overcoming of the resistance internally to that very thing. So for example, like my business is a great example because it's it's sort of my play box with what many call the external world. So if I want to do something in my business, like there have been many instances of different projects I wanted to do or certain goals I wanted to achieve. And I thought that I had to push really hard on the outside and really like plan, organize and da 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 and what Dr. Joe calls matter to matter thinking and trying to like organize everything and work hard such that it would occur. And a lot of the time I didn't I wasn't willing to even overcome a certain part of myself that like something that was like a challenge. I knew I need to do this particular task, but it just felt so daunting. And so I would actually linger, keep myself lingering in like scarcity, lack, like, no, I'm not really, you know, subconsciously, I'm not really worthy of that. It's like, I'm not going to take this step that probably would move the needle, or I'm not going to forego this immediate uh, gratification of solving short-term problems in favor of just stepping out of that and going into the longer-term stuff. Um, And all I had to do, in fact, was I'd say sit down for a meditation and overcome that emotion, that limiting belief, what what have you, inside. And then all of a sudden, like the thing outside didn't even feel like work. That's the best example I can give. It's like I did the internal work and then all of a sudden the stuff outside started aligning itself. So for example, in another in another case with the business, I've I've been learning how to run a business the last four or five years. I had zero experience. I came right out of high school and just been trying to kind of figure it out on the fly. And there were some challenges I faced several just for me challenges right for someone else um, you know they may have been really easy business things but for me they were challenges and I would just let's see I would try I want to get this right so in running a business on a daily basis naturally you will come across challenges. It's just part of the way that things work. If I, I'm basically repeating the the same idea in a different way, but if I wasn't prepared to actually step up to the task and uh, overcome myself, then I would just feel stuck and I could stay stuck in the same thing literally for months, like months I could stay stuck and then all I had to do was overcome myself once and then the thing that was a month-long problem would solve itself. So in one case, I had a a real big challenge. Like financially, I wasn't running things well. We were getting like a lot of credit card debt racked up and it was just so overwhelming but it was a reflection of my life. I had other things in my uh, outside life, let's say relationship that were all going in a tough direction. And finally, I got to a point where I had been saying to myself for years, like, I want to do light therapy devices. I want to do all these other amazing projects, which we are now doing. But at the time, it was like, always I want to, but like, I I thought I couldn't, right? And finally, I got to such a challenging point. I wasn't really putting the right effort into my business because I didn't even feel like I felt like I had lost some sense of motivation for it. I was getting up every day, felt like I was grinding and I didn't feel like what I was going for. Well, for better or for worse, I didn't identify the problem until it kind of really blew up in my face and then I had to face it. And that's, I think, how it goes for many people. You know, Dispenza says many people don't change until they have death or diagnosis. And I was on the brink of like business death, let's say. And so I finally had to sort of reevaluate everything 
and face my own internal circumstances. So it was nothing outside. It was all internal that was leading to these challenges. And then I just started to tap into this feeling of like, you know, per Dispenza and these other teachers, like what would it feel like if I was actually super stoked to get up every day and work on my business? And it almost sounds so simple, but like, what would it feel like? And I I never did this my whole life. I I just didn't, I didn't know that it was something I I might've done it as a kid, you know, had dreams and then the dreams would maybe create, come to reality or not. But at some point I kind of stopped thinking I was the creator of my life. And I thought it was this life was this materialistic thing where you had to just push, but I started and and then you, you get caught in your own blind spots. And I was in my own blind spots for like three or four years building up the business. Like I have to do things a certain way and hustle, work super hard. So instead I changed it. I was like, let me feel like I'm super, super stoked about this, this business. And the first thing I was like, well, I'm going to drop the optics. It's going to just be raw. We'll keep optics as the eyewear brand, but raw will be the, the big brand. And I was like that, that one change happened so quickly. As soon as I was like, what would it feel like? And so I have a domain raw life, raw.life. And we'll, we'll be there when we start launching our lighting therapy products. But that was simple. It was like, of course, I would not just be doing glasses. I'd be doing all the other products, lighting especially, that I've wanted to do for years. But for some reason, I said, I'll do that later. I'll do that later. The understanding I have of, of the, the work from Dispenza as well is like, you know, we only have right the present moment. So it's like we have the, the past as a con- kind of concept. The future is kind of a concept. But in order for the future to come to fruition, like eventually that idea of the future is going to be a present moment experience. So it's like, why wouldn't you just start to try to feel those feelings of that future now? And then you're in your future. It's like relative to the podcast we did three years ago, we're both in the future. So like, why wouldn't we be creating and walking and talking and thinking like we're our future selves who we want to be because we're already in our future. So just, you know, as a way of contextualizing that. And then it was just, just by making that energetic shift. Now it wasn't easy. Like I had to actually wrestle with all these I would get myself to that energy state of like, what would it feel like? But then all these, uh, let's say, crutches or reminders from the outside world that I had used to reaffirm the addiction, as you mentioned earlier, to that addiction, to that suffering, that neuro pathway that was just, I'm the victim, I'm the victim, I'm the victim, I can't go beyond a certain level. All of those external circumstances that ultimately I had just, because they're innate, electromag- they're no innate meaning, right? Like the example earlier about that the stuff around us is just the names we give it. Those circumstances, those items, those, those, for example, even if it was like emails, like my email inbox is overflowing, so I can't move on to anything else until I get caught up there, which is, again, from that energy, never going to get caught up because I'm just working just to be ca- catching up, which means I'm in the energy of the person who, who feels like a victim who always wants to stay behind. As soon as I started to shift that energy, it was like, I'd have to keep going back to that higher energy state of like, no, this is going to be the future. This is going to be the future. So that when something would come up, it was like, oh my God, like, and I would, every part of my body would want to use that to be like, no, there's no way I can do that. Like I have to focus all my energy on this to be like, no, like I'm just not doing that anymore. And Dispenza says a lot of time, like you're going to lose old friendships, like people who you've literally built a relationship with on constantly reaffirming your addiction to suffering with each other. Like those might just go away. You're going to be a different person. And for me, all this is to say that the light diet is a protocol of getting sun and using nature to realign our body, which without which I feel it's very difficult to embark on a, on a spiritual life if you're eating like junk and you're not out in nature. And at the same time, that that alone isn't enough, I believe now, and that we have to actually want to become the person of our future. But in order to do that, it's like, uh, to quote, I believe Jesus in the Bible, it's like 
some something like to paraphrase some part of ourselves has to die to be reborn and it's like do we think the dying is going to be like easy like no it's going to probably be really hard like for me I, I had to go through a lot of pain i lost like a girl i deeply deeply loved and like a relationship uh because i was neglecting certain emotions and just and yet that had to happen to teach me a lesson i'd like to have to face myself and my own neglect so you asked really in, in the beginning of this question, like how can we have that inner power? I've really come to believe, man, that even though, yes, we need to eat well, we need to take care of our light exposure, we need to do all these things, get some sun, maybe take supplements if, if we feel that's our path. But uh, the, the great masters like Yogananda, for example, who I really admire, uh, I connect a lot to his writings. It's like the truth is that we can meditate and realize some reality beyond the at least for me beyond what the day-to-day -day is this is my experience like the day-to-day -day is the place where we trap ourselves and to be able to sort of live at the same time in the worldly world like not get all woo-woo and be someone who's just like floating in the clouds and not physically grounded you see that a lot in like the woke spiritual types they're not actually here like that's not what i'm talking about at all it's about being able to believe like dispenza says an unlimited possibility being able to realize the illusion and see the the great illusion let's say at all times and then like come into this world and be super stoked about it and for me every time i start to let go of my concept of like how things are supposed to be and just surrender all of a sudden like i can feel myself wanting to smile a little more and just be like you know what why am i worrying about stuff like why am i worrying about even for example i could see myself sub subconsciously even doing a podcast like what's the listener going to think about what i'm saying here you know it's like why like why not just speak the truth to the best of my ability and just let the rest organize itself and and that's where i do also appreciate you know the surrender experiment idea i think the reason it was it, it seemed like freshman to mm. me whereas untethered soul was was senior you know mm. it was like next level shit uh surrender experiment seemed like it had taken a step down and, and in part that's because ayahuasca is the surrender experiment like and it, and it can be gentle or it can be stern as fuck, but it will teach you to surrender. Like that is mm. a that is one of the ultimate um, common threads with that particular medicine. And you know I've had close to around thirty journeys with it, which isn't isn't much by any means in comparing myself to to anyone that's really worked with that over the years. But it is a lot more than most people. And many journeys, you know, like, okay, I get it. And then you go back and it's like, oh, you forgot it. <laughs> Let's refresh that, you know? So um, the the beauty of these lessons is that they do get to come. You know, you think of um, the infinite spiral staircase, you know, and, and time as, as circular rather than linear. Every time we do a lap back around that circle, heading upward or downward in the spiral, we get a chance to revisit some of the core medicine that we came here for, because some of the core things we came here to experience. And with that, as different versions of ourselves, we can see things through a different lens. And I think, um, you know, that's why we get to revisit surrender, why we get to revisit childhood trauma, why we get to revisit anything, why we get to revisit uh, the argument online, anything, right? Like, what is my new perspective and take on that? Does it affect me? Am I going to let that take me down or am I going to continue to march? forward in creating the world that I, that I hope to see. And, um, you know, I think, I think the work that you're doing, the work that Spence is doing, the work that Emily's doing, and all these people that are really dialed in on how 
we can take something through a spiritual lens and make it very practical and very real and validate it through science, which is, you know, the mental age that we're in and is the language, the religion that we all agree upon. Um, that's important too, you know, and, and, and yet I don't need somebody to tell me to validate the efficacy of ayahuasca. <laughs> like I just don't need that. You know, the proof is there. Um, but at the same time, you know, between yourself and Emily and Joe, um, there's a unique ability to do all of those things. And that has a broader way of connecting to more people. And obviously there's, there's big medicine in that because those are bridges. And I think that's, that's a, a really important piece of what the world is yearning for right now. Yeah. Um, you know, there's one question I'd actually kind of like to ask you maybe to sort of in closing or in wrapping up, I'm curious where this will go, but uh, I've heard, you know, in different, there's so many different perspectives about plant medicines, right? I, I'm not, um, I'm not, let's say experienced right in that realm. I've had a minimal amount of experience, but I've been told by one one person I had a journey years ago with uh, San Pedro, and this was like with a shaman in Ecuador, one of uh, one of Ecuador's most, I guess, revered shamans. And it was a very fortunate situation that he happened to uh, be connected through a friend, and and so on. And he was about to go to apparently Switzerland to speak about the value of these medicines to the United Nations or something like that. So I thought, wow, this is a pretty cool experience, and. First of all, I didn't take, I didn't drink a lot because I was sort of a little nervous. And uh, typically, you don't purge apparently very much with this medicine, but I did a little bit, and so I was like, all right, I don't know, maybe I should just, you know, keep it back. But one of the things they said that struck me was that when we use this medicine, it's sort of like showing you like where you got to go or where you can go, where you may like to go, and yet then when you come back you still have to do this work to like integrate it or to do that work. You know what I mean? And I, that was, that was an interesting concept for me as someone who's worked with it a lot. Do you feel that the use of the medicine itself actually is able to help you, uh, fully work things out and then come back to life and have them like, uh, worked out or, and, or do you need to still do that work in your uh, in your state, not on the medicine, but you've kind of seen how it has to go. So maybe it's much easier, like more facilitated. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is one of the big topics around, around, um, structuring a container that's useful for people. And what I mean by that is like, if you, you know, there's reasons people would go to the temple. They talk about that in King Warrior, Magician Lover, like to have a mentor, to have a guide, to have the shaman or to have the temple in which you, you participate in the sacred rite of passage mattered because it was the container necessary for the growth. It could hold the event in and of itself and it could carry you back to grounding you into reality afterward, whatever this reality is. And, um, you know, integration is such a big piece. It comes up for us constantly in fit for service. How do I integrate this thing? Or what does integration actually look like? And uh, there's different places I've gone. Like Soltara is my favorite place to do ayahuasca. They have a three-hour orientation that really teaches you how to work with the medicine. And that in and of itself teaches you how to work with all medicines, whether it's Wim Hof breathing, holotropic breath work, or uh, Vision Quest, five days or four days, no food, no water. Any of these altered states of consciousness can be worked with similarly because you learn how to communicate with the grand self and um, how to work with that energy. The integration piece, you know, to boil it in a nutshell is just how does it change your life on the day to day? You know, what is the embodiment 
of the thing. So it's not just the dope experience you had in the Amazon or the vision you had that you regurgitate online or through a podcast. It actually shapes and changes the way you are going forward. And I've had times where I've gone to do medicines and I've, you know, this happened and oh my God, it changed all this and that. And I healed from it. And, and it, it didn't actually change the way that I parented or it didn't change the way that I showed up in a relationship to the point where Tosh was like, cool, you know, like <laughs> it doesn't mean anything unless there's change. And ultimately that, it, you know, it is us becoming the medicine that actually matters, right? So you think of Ram Dass or any of the great spiritual teachers, um, people would talk about just sitting in their presence and feeling unconditional love. They'd feel the vibrational resonance of unconditional love. And with that lack of judgment and with that abundance of love, it could shift something in them just from fucking sitting in front of them. Right. So he had effectively, he became the medicine before he passed on to the next place. And I think that, that, that is the goal for me. It's not the goal for everyone. Some people just want healing or some people are psychonauts and they just want to explore. Maybe they've done the healing and it's like, fuck, I want to see what the rest of the universe looks like. That's all good. Um, really it is about habit change, you know, simple, simple as that. And, um, I think to answer your question, you can, there are aspects you could heal in the ceremony. So for instance, if someone had sexual trauma and they relived that and they saw through a new lens and they were able to forgive that forgiveness isn't for the other person. It's for them to alleviate themselves, right? Paul Selig states, uh, anyone you hold in darkness, a part of you is there with them. Anyone you hold in the cave, a part of you is with them in that cave. And anything you damn, damns you right back, right? So in that experience, um, that will always be true, right? Whatever any, another thing that Selig states is the truth with the capital T is always true and never changing. Um, to say any one of our presidents is the president of the United States is only true for a moment. So it's not a, it's not a universal capital T truth. But one of those universal capital T truths is anything you damn, damns you right back. So if you're able to forgive someone successfully and meaningfully, that would be the shift necessary. The key in the integration of that would be, do you still hold anyone in the cage after you leave? Right? Where in your life have you not forgiven others? So that would be how you integrate an experience like that. Did you heal in the ceremony? Fuck yeah, you healed from the sexual trauma. But how do you change your life going forward and embody that forgiveness? Where have you not forgiven someone else in your job and the guy who cuts you off in traffic in your relationship? Where do you still hold that? Right. And so that's ongoing work, right? That's the loop around the circle as you spiral upward that you keep revisiting. And you do so because it's always a new opportunity to relive it and see it anew with a new perspective and a new lens because you've changed. Right. And I think that's used to be something that was highly frustrating for me. Like, am I on this fucking eternal wheel where I get to fucking go back and back and back and back through the loop and over and over and over again, I see the same shit with a new costume. And ultimately it only feels repetitive or like groundhog day. If I have not effectively done the work to change and the truth of consciousness or God or whatever you want to call that is that we re get, we do revisit the lesson over and over again until we graduate from the experience right? Um, the woman who, who goes from relationship to relationship and a physically abusive relationship and always finds the dude who physically abuses her is, is continuing to bring that in until she graduates from the experience. It's not to say women invite fucking physical abuse, but there is, if it's a habit and you can track it through every relationship, that's been the case, 
there's something there internally that needs to shift in order for that person to not bring that upon themselves again. And again, this is not to say that, that women invite that or they invite any type of thing like that, but it's true for men as well. It's true for men in different circumstances where they call in a verbally abusive woman or a physically abusive woman. Um, and you can apply that in many different contexts, but until we learn that lesson, we're going to keep bringing in that same person, new avatar, same person, new avatar, same person. And that's one example of a myriad of infinite ways that that shows up in variety that is on that wheel, that loop, you know? So if you feel Groundhog Day, uh, take a hard look in the mirror, you know, self-reflection is one of the key doorways out of that experience into something new. Amazing. I really appreciate that. I feel it's very uh, timely and very, very well put. Fuck yeah, brother. Well, where can people find you? You still got your podcast that's periodic? Yeah, yeah, periodic podcast, The Light Diet, The Light Diet podcast on every podcast player. We have, uh, so people can find me personally, The Light Diet on Instagram. People can go to rawoptics.com. That's my current company. And I'm looking at, we're looking at probably within the next year being Raw Life and also releasing, which we didn't talk about much, but when it occurs, we will maybe do another episode uh, just to kind of share the information, but we're working on really cool light therapy technology. So like cool to the next level, I'm working with the best guy in the world uh, out of Germany on light therapy technology and stuff where like imagine, so every supplement, as I was mentioning, every nutrient effectively works with certain wavelengths of light that because every single molecule, biomolecule, vitamin, mineral, etc they all are activated by certain wavelengths of light. The only way any chemical interactions can happen in nature or at all is through the absorption and emission of photons. Like anytime two chemicals interact, they release a photon. And in order for them to have been able to interact, one of them had to absorb a photon to bring its electrons into an elevated energy state. So they're further away from the nucleus and the other one can grab onto it and then they create a chemical bond. So nothing really happens in the world without light. All that's to say, uh, if you take a supplement or even pharmaceutical, there's always wavelengths of light that can enhance its effects. And so just to, as a minor teaser, like imagine being able to have not just a supplement, but a supplement combined with a certain protocol on a device uh, pre-programmed and matched perfectly. And uh, there's a lot a lot more that uh, will, will be coming, but that's just sort of a, a very small teaser of what people will be able to do easily, personally, from the comfort of their own home. You don't need to go out and spend, you know, 50K at a facility, which is what some of these things might require at this time. So it'll be really cool. That's all rawoptics.com. So, yeah. Fuck yeah, brother. I'm pumped. <laughs> yeah. Hell Thank yeah. you, brother. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. We'll do it again. <laughs>